want to invite you to turn in your Bible to the book of Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18. If you have a phone or a tablet, feel free to use that. Just uh, go ahead and delete your Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter apps before you do. Or disable. I ain't trying to add law to you. But, uh, you know, you do, you do yourself well, though, to follow along in the Scriptures, truly speaking. Um, I think that there, there, there will be people who miss Jesus because every Sunday they were in church distracted by their phones and by their Instagrams and other things. Uh, so do everything you can on Saturday night to sleep so you can stay awake Sunday morning and open your Bibles as we get into it for your good and uh, for the glory of Christ. Amen? Amen. Acts chapter 18. Uh, we're going to look at 10 verses, verse 18 through verse 28 today. Verse 18 through verse 28. Please follow along in your Bible as I read out of mine. Reading from the English Standard Version, it says, After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila. And Senecre, at Senecre, he had cut his hair for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there. But he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. When he landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Now a man named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit. He spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he only knew the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the temple, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the Scriptures that Christ, the Christ, was Jesus. This morning I want to preach on this text, Acts 18, verses 20, 18 through 28. And I want to preach under the title, Your Drive Needs Some Doctrine. Your Drive Needs Some Doctrine. Please pray with me as we begin and as we dive into God's Word. Father, we thank You for the hope that we have in Christ that we've so clearly sung about today that we've so clearly lifted up in prayer and thanked You for and praised You for. We ask God now as we come into the Scriptures that You would show us the hope, even from this passage, show us the hope that we have in Christ. The same hope that Apollos, Priscilla, and Aquila founded their lives upon. The same hope that drew, drove the Apostle Paul from place to place to place. 
Speak to us, God, not my own wisdom, but Yours. Powerfully move in our hearts. Give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Two friends recently built and rode a minibike 382 miles over a four-day span, recreating that epic scene from Dumb and Dumber with Jim Carrey and Jeff Daniels when they drive almost 400 miles on a minibike from Nebraska to Aspen, Colorado, because Lloyd took a wrong turn. He was in his game that night, if you remember the scene. He was feeling good. He was driven and he was driving. And he took a wrong turn and drove 400 miles in the wrong direction. Family, if you don't know the lay of the land, if you don't get yourself a good map, if you don't have a GPS on your iPhone, and you don't know how to follow it, it doesn't matter how driven you may be. It doesn't matter how good you may feel. It doesn't matter how passionate you are about the direction you're heading in. If you don't know where you're going, you're going to end up 400 miles in the wrong direction. And so today, I want to talk on this topic, your drive, everybody say drive, your drive needs some doctrine. Here's what I mean by this. I, I personally tend to be a very driven person. Driven. I tend to be passionate about the things that I'm doing and uh, have an idea of where I want to go and, and uh Go as hard as I can go to get there. And I can tell you that drive is, I think, a good thing. I encourage drive. I want you to be driven. I want you to uh, attempt great things for God. But today, I don't want to so much focus on drive as much as I want to assume that you are driven and that your drive needs to be shaped by, by doctrine. Are you with me? In today's world, here's the problem. In today's world, we, we call this the information age, don't we? It's, it's kind of ironic. Because there's information all over the place. We can, like Google is probably the most powerful tool in the world. We can, we can access information with our fingertips. At the same time, we don't really live in an era where people really want knowledge. We live in an era where people want the feel of having knowledge. Where people want the look of having knowledge. And here's what I mean by this is because everything is so accessible and we can just look this up and move to this and move to that, that we have lost the discipline of hard study Verifying resources, painstakingly walking through ideas, 
and in particular as it relates to the Scriptures, knowing the whole counsel of God. Because in all reality, in our information era, we have a soundbite culture. We have a 10-minute YouTube video culture. We have a tweet culture. And so therefore, in this information era, whoever shouts the loudest gets the listening. He who howls gets the hearing. I made that up. You like that? It doesn't matter if you are accurate as long as you are amusing. Facebook recently discovered that the most toxic and divisive posts are the ones that receive the most likes and the most shares and the most reposts. In our world today, if you're bold, you are better, even if you're inaccurate. People don't want truth, they want tickling. And I'm, I'm concerned that in some churches, the, the, the message of what is actually communicated is not as important as the delivery and how it's communicated. Family, let me ask you this question. As you open your mouth to speak, as you are trying to communicate something, whatever it is, is it mere passion? As you're living your life, going from day to day, is it mere drive? Or is your passion shaped by good biblical truth? Is your drive formed by your doctrines? In, in the book of Acts, that's where we've been at. We're in the 18th chapter today. We are going through this book for a number of reasons. One of the reasons is because it focuses on evangelism and personal witnessing. And, and uh, I, I felt like it was a good time for us as a church to be thinking about the lost around us uh, and our need to be people that don't just simply live our lives and work a nine to five from Monday through Friday and then enjoy the weekends. What kind of life is that? But people who are on mission, the kind of life that's worth living. And so as we're in Acts, what we're seeing is this beautiful uh, example after example of what it looks like to live our life on mission. As we come to this passage in particular, I want you to be thinking of some of your friends who have maybe been brought up in church. They've got some knowledge. They're churchy at some level. They, they, they know some biblical truth. But at the end of the day, their doctrine is incomplete. At the end of the day, their message is incomplete. They haven't come to, in all of their upbringing and background, they haven't come to fully understand the whole gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you guys today to see those friends, and we can call them an Apollos as people that we are called to go after and to say, hey, can I teach you a few things? To humbly sit down with and open the Scriptures and say, let me show you the whole counsel of God's Word. Or maybe you are an Apollos. Maybe you are somebody here um, who, who can turn a phrase. You're good on your feet. 
but at the end of the day, you're driven more by your passions, your desires, your talents, your skills, than you are driven by the doctrines of Jesus Christ. And I want to challenge you today as well. So I'm speaking to the Priscilla and the Aquilas, and I'm speaking to the Apollos in the room. Now in Acts, as we get into this 18th chapter of Acts, Paul is on the move. Paul himself is driven. He is one of the most driven individuals in the Bible. He's going from place to place on mission. We just saw two weeks ago how Paul was in Corinth and he spent a year and a half in Corinth planting a church there. And now in verses 18 through 23, Paul moves from Corinth towards Syria. And in verse 18, uh, we, we, we get this little insight uh, and these figures become important as this story develops. In verse 18, it says he takes with him Priscilla and Aquila, a couple that Paul has come to deeply admire and love and respect, a couple that at some point, we don't know exactly when, but they risked their own lives for Paul. They hosted a church in their home. They are people who have turned their lives toward mission. In verse 19, Paul arrives in Ephesus, and this is where our story is going to take place. He gets to Ephesus, and, and when he gets to Ephesus, he spends some time there, and he says, i got to go on, i got to keep it moving, uh, promises to come back if the Lord wills it, and he leaves Priscilla and Aquila behind in Ephesus. And Paul goes from, from Ephesus to Caesarea, and then to Antioch, and on to Galatia, and he shares the gospel all around the region of Galatia. We get to verse 24, and in your translation, or in my translation, it starts with a now. Now. That could be translated meanwhile. So if this was a, a, a movie, or a TV show, we see a, a glimpse of where Paul's going and all of these different scenes of where he's moving to and he drops off Priscilla and Aquila back in Ephesus and then he goes on to Caesarea and ends up in Galatians. He's going all over the place. And then we flash back. The director takes us back to Ephesus and he says, meanwhile, back in Ephesus. While, while Paul is going about doing his thing, let me drop back and tell you about what was going on in Ephesus during this time because it is so extremely important. Now, in Ephesus, we, we meet a new character. His name is Apollos. And when we come to Apollos, what I want you to see is this, is that drive alone is not enough. Your abilities, your natural abilities alone are not enough. Your talents alone are not enough. When you think about your personal mission, your natural skill that you have is not enough. And this is important because some of you guys are really talented. Some of you guys are naturally talented. You know how to turn a phrase. You're, you're good with your words. You're, you're good on, on your feet. But if the Holy Spirit were to leave you, would you go about your day and not realize that anything changed? Because you are so focused and reliant on your natural gifting and abilities that you can go on your day without the Holy Spirit and nothing changes. 
Look, the danger for the talented is that they can become self-reliant. The danger for the talented is, is that they can be in sin that morning and then five minutes later talking to somebody about Jesus as if they've been on the mountaintop with them the entire, the entire morning because they're talented. The other danger with talented people is that those who are concerned about the talented people are often afraid to challenge them because they're not as good with their words. And they know that if they challenge you, they're going to lose. You're going to verbally manipulate your way out of the situation. What if, what if Priscilla and Aquila were too afraid to challenge Apollos? What if they heard Apollos speaking and he was so eloquent and so beautiful and so articulate in his words, so talented, and they said, we can't touch that guy with a nine-foot pole. Like We can't get near him. We're not going to even try. What I love about Priscilla and Aquila in this passage is that they were willing to confront a, a, a talented individual. Confront is even too strong of a word. They were willing to invite a talented individual to come and sit alongside them and to learn something that he hadn't yet had the ability to learn. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Paul leaves uh, Ephesus and he leaves behind Priscilla and Aquila in Ephesus. Everybody say Priscilla and Aquila, two important names. He leaves Priscilla and Aquila behind. And immediately, meanwhile, uh, a man named Apollos is there. Apollos is from Alexandria, which is in North Africa. Let me tell you one of the benefits of studying through the book of Acts. Just a little side note for you. There is so much misinformation today that's popular in culture about the birth of the church, about how Christianity got rolling, about how the church got started. And some people will come along and tell you that the church was founded, was started by powerful and militant white men. They would tell you that the church is all about power and preserving one's own culture. Some people would tell you that the church is not for those of African descent. Some people would tell you that the church is oppressive to women. But we get into the book of Acts and what we see here is the real history of the church. We see what was really going on. We see how the church actually got its start. And it starts with one Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, filling a diverse people. Crossing language barriers, crossing ethnic barriers, breaking down all barriers between people because the gospel also broke down the barrier between man and God. And I got to do another sidestep here because you have to understand the gospel in order to understand everything else I'm going to say. In Acts, they come with this message they call the good news, the gospel. And it begins with saying, look, all of mankind, all of mankind is under the same problem, and that is the problem of sin and death. 
the curse of sin is against all of us because we are all sinners. But God sent His Son God incarnate, very God of very God. Jesus Christ who never began being God, but He eternally was God. Took on flesh, humbled Himself, became a man, came into this world, and then died on the cross. The death that you and I deserve. I was trying to explain this to my nine-year-old the other day. And he, he just wasn't quite getting it. And, and so we were in the bathroom and he was brushing his teeth. And, and so I started whacking him with my towel. And it was dry, so it, it didn't hurt him, you know. But I'm whacking him with my towel. And, and he was like looking at me like, why are you doing that? And I was like, this is what you deserved. And then I walked over to the sink. And I was like, started whacking the sink. And I was like, but Jesus took what you deserve. And then I picked him up and I put him in the sink, grabbed my towel. And I was like, because you're in Christ. He took what you deserve. So I was taught and explained that to him. And I picked him up again and put him back in the sink. And I was like, and the Bible says that if you died with Christ, you were also raised with Christ. And then I put him in the sink a third time. And I was like, so now you live your life in Christ. Remain in. Look, church, do whatever you have to do to effectively communicate the gospel. And this is what Acts is about. Acts is about communicating the whole message of Jesus Christ. Which, which is, by the way, the whole Bible. It all points to Christ. It's all about our life in Christ. It's not just a part of it. It's not like just the Gospels. It's the whole counsel that leads us to Jesus. And understanding what our life is like in Christ. And so Acts then is this book about that message being spread from place to place, from person to person, from ethnic group to ethnic group, coming together as one. So, so one of the reasons that we study Acts is because it shows us the true story of the church and how things actually got rolling. These are our people. And there's so much, even in this text, that we learn as a, as, as a model for us, as well as a framework for how we think of missions. Let me just point out a couple things, a couple examples from this text. One of the things we learn is that one of the key figures in the early church is an African Jew from Alexandria, one of the movers and shakers. One of the things we learn here is that the church didn't start anti-woman, but rather Priscilla had a, uh, what was this wonderfully trained biblical theologian who had a powerful role in shaping this mover and shaker named Apollos. Another example we see here is Paul's own example of leaving Priscilla and Aquila behind. You know, sometimes God gives us wonderful friends in ministry. And so often we see in Acts how they say goodbye to each other, at least temporarily in this world, knowing that they will be together in the next world forever and ever. But for this world, it, it was important for Paul to leave them behind so that they might continue to form the church in Ephesus. We, we also see Priscilla and Aquila's example 
of taking Apollos aside quietly and not seeking to embarrass him or shame him publicly. We see in this text the benefit of a husband and wife team. If you are married, and if you're married to a Christian, and you're both here today, I want to encourage you, think of yourself as a team. Yes, you have your individual ministries, but look at the benefits of Priscilla and Aquila working together. And if you're single, you say, oh, well, see, that counts me out. Well, Apollos is not said to have any spouse. Likely a single man. We see also the value of singles in ministry. In verse 27, we also see Apollos' example of waiting for confirmation. He's a humble man. I mean, think of the humility in Apollos to even listen to Priscilla and Aquila. Such a talented individual, and when they pull him aside, he's willing to sit down and submit himself. John Calvin actually points out that in this culture, women were not to be trusted. They were not, I mean, this is, a, this is a male domineering culture, and Apollos was willing to listen to Priscilla. Just a man of humility to recognize that, that these are people made in God's image to have something that I don't have and I need to learn. But then also, Apollo's own humility in verse 27, this is what I was going to say. In verse 27, it says that Apollo desires or he wishes to go to Achaia. Now, in today's culture, if somebody wished to go to Achaia, what would they do? They would just go. Because we live in an individualistic society where people, even in missions, often just do what they want to do. But Apollo's waits for the confirmation of the church. It says he wished he could go to Achaia, and then the brothers encourage him to do so and then give him a letter of support to go with him. Waiting for confirmation. So it Acts, the book of Acts, it confronts our individualism, it confronts our pride, it confronts our assumptions, it, it confronts our fears, and I love it. Now back to the main point of my sermon. Apollos is a man of great talent, but insufficient training. Everybody say this, great talent, but insufficient training. This is a problem. This is a problem that we might face today in our own society, potentially with some even in our own church. Great talent, but insufficient doctrine. Look at the descriptors for Apollos. He was eloquent. He knew the Old Testament. He was hot with the Spirit. He spoke and taught accurately, accurately the things of Jesus, all in verse 25, 26. Check this out. Passion minus doctrine equals an insufficient message. That's for the math scholars in the room. Passion minus doctrine equals an insufficient message. He had passion. He had talent. He's described in verse 25 as being eloquent. That word eloquent in the Greek is the word logos, or logios, which comes from the word logos, which is where we get the word word in the, in, in the Greek language. 
Meaning he's good with words. He knows how to turn a phrase. He's really good with sentence structure. He, 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 he has a thesaurus for a brain. He's able to pull words out of thin air and, and articulate things that are persuasive and that win people over. He's good with his words. He's not necessarily a false theologian or a false teacher. It says that he knows the Scriptures. Now, the word Scriptures here uh, would be the word, a word that would reference the Old Testament because the New Testament had yet been written at this time. And so it's saying Apollos knows, knows the Old Testament. He's a Jew. He's been brought up in the synagogue. He's trained in the Scriptures. He's hot with the Spirit. He's, he's on fire. That's not a reference to the Holy Spirit, but his own spirited. It's, it's as if to, we're, we're saying he is a spirited kind of individual. It also tells us that he spoke and taught accurately about Jesus. Meaning, uh, where, where you've got some people in this era saying that Jesus was not really God, evidently Apollos is teaching accurately, saying, no, he is God. Or maybe on the other side, there were people who said that Jesus was not fully man, fully human. And Apollos is saying, no, he was indeed human. So there was some element in which he got Jesus right. He was right on his teaching with, with Jesus. So he was, he was getting stuff. He was like halfway there, if you would. He had a lot of background and a lot of training that wasn't terrible. And so he didn't have false teaching, and he wasn't a false teacher. So what was it? His problem, we could simply say, was this, that Apollos had insufficient doctrine. He just didn't have enough. Verse 25 tells us what the problem was. It says he only knew the baptism of John. Do you guys all remember John the Baptist? This takes us back to the beginning of the Gospels. Remember John the Baptist? Preaching in the wilderness, coming out of the wilderness, John the Baptist. Baptizing in the river people that were uh, following him and, and wanting to turn and repent. Repent for the kingdom of near. Remember John the Baptist? He must increase, and I must decrease, John. He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit, John. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I'm not even worthy to untie that, John. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Do you remember John the Baptist? So Apollos had heard of John the Baptist. Maybe he was just, uh, baptized by John. We don't, we don't know. But he had known of the teaching of John the Baptist, meaning he was in preparation mode for the Messiah. He was repentant, and he must have heard of Jesus and rightly got the personhood of Jesus to some degree. We don't know to what extent. But you see in verse 26, it says, however, that he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they said to one another, we need to teach this young man a little something. I just added that. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. He was on the road, but not far enough. He's veering off the course. 
There's some accuracy there. But they need explanation on the way of Jesus so that they might be more accurate. Is this not relevant for our era today? Is anybody with me? You see, boldness, church, is not enough. Being brave in your doctrine, bravery alone is, 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 is deficient. If all we have is bravery. Or let, me, let me try to say it another way. Heat. Without the whole Gospel of Jesus Christ will leave you only with hysteria. Spirit minus substance. Will, will, will leave you superficial. Drive minus doctrine will leave you drained. And so Priscilla and Aquila take Apollos and they pull him aside and, and, and they, they, they don't blast him in public. They don't blast him on social media. They don't go on a smear campaign and mock him. And we've got to recognize he's not a false teacher. Not everybody that's wrong is a false teacher. Some people just don't have enough. They're just a little inaccurate. They're a little off and they need to be corrected. Now, let's also be clear. He could have become a false teacher. How could he have become a false teacher? Well, here's how. If he had resisted Priscilla and Aquila and said, no, I am going to remain teaching what I'm teaching, now he moves from naive to that of being a false teacher. Years ago, I, re- I read this book by, by uh, Gordon Allport named, called The Nature of Prejudice. And it's an old philosophy book. And, and he talks about how prejudice comes. And he, he says that, that prejudice begins with a false assumption. Meaning you might hear that uh, everybody who's, who's from Akron, Ohio is uh, lazy. And then... Uh, you meet somebody from Akron, Ohio, and they're lazy. And then and that confirms it. Yeah, everybody from Akron, Ohio is lazy because I met somebody from there, and they're lazy. But then you meet somebody else from Akron, Ohio, and they're a hard worker. You, you had a, a, a false assumption based on your experience, but now that assumption is challenged. That experience has now been challenged. Your false assumption, according to Allport, moves into prejudice when you maintain the view that everybody from Akron, Ohio is lazy. Does that make sense? Well, that's the same thing with Bible teaching. You might be wrong. You might, you might be missing some of the gospel. You might be inaccurate. And that's naive. And you need some good training. But your naivety turns into false teaching when you have the opportunity to be trained. When when somebody comes alongside you and tries to open up the Word of God and show you some things and you refuse it even though it's there and you maintain your inaccurate teaching, you've now moved from naive to false teacher. Well, praise be to God that Apollos didn't make that move. He was willing to hear the Word of God. He was willing to sit under Priscilla and Aquila and 
to, to be trained. Now, church, I'm concerned that some of you might write off some of your own friends as simply a false teacher when they've never even had the opportunity to be challenged. You've never taken it upon yourself to say, hey, can I sit down with you and explain some things? I'm concerned that some of us might be too quick to just to hear something that's one of our friends and, and we think, man, they got some weird theology. And we don't love them enough to say, hey, Apollos, can we sit down and talk about that? What if, what if that was Priscilla and, and Aquila's approach? What if they just simply wrote him off and they said, hey, everybody, uh, stay away from Apollos. He's, he's saying some things that are inaccurate. He clearly hasn't heard everything that we know. Here, come on over to our thing. Please don't listen to Apollos. That wasn't their approach. Their approach was to talk to Apollos. And Apollos gladly received it. Pulled him aside to explain. Verse 26, they explained to him the way of God more accurately. We don't, we don't know all of uh, what they explained. They, I'm sure, talked about the whole message of Jesus. They probably talked about his uh, ascension and how the Holy Spirit came on that day of Pentecost and how the Holy Spirit has united Jew and Gentile. Luke doesn't tell us, maybe intentionally, what they taught him. Because maybe this is to be open-handed, or open-ended rather. Because there are so many Apollos in our own lives. And so many things that, that people can misunderstand even in our own day. People who grew up in the church and are really passionate and are really good with their words, but need to learn some things. It is love to sit down with them. Now, I could flip it around. You know, first I've said that Apollos had all the passion in the world, uh, but he had an insufficient message. Meaning, passion minus doctrine equals, remember my math equation, an insufficient message. I could flip that around. And let me do it. I could say, doctrine minus passion equals an insufficient message. And that's also true. Let me flip it all around. Doctrine without drive leaves you deflated. Substance without spirit leaves you with a superiority complex. You see, on one hand, there could be a problem with passionate people promoting bad theology. But I see a problem on the other hand just as clear today. And that is people who have good theology and no passion, no drive behind it. Can you imagine with me a Christian who talks more passionately about the ravens than he does about Jesus? Somebody says, I don't have to imagine that. I've seen it a hundred times. So passionate about the, Monday, the game that just happened Monday night. Should I talk about it? Look, we're gonna, I'm going to get the passion boiling in the room. I just heard more people talking back to me 
when I talked about Monday night than I have had the entire time I've been talking about the gospel. You see what I'm saying? We could be more passionate, and I could hear you shout more at the TV than you do in church. Isn't there something wrong with this? Is it possible that we are more passionate about uh, temporal things in this world than we are the doctrines of, of Jesus Christ? The good things of the gospel. You got somebody who, uh, who's talking about something that they, they, they love. You know, let's just let's go with the Ravens. And they're, they're, they're shouting. There's, there's, you know, Lamar Jackson is just pounding the, 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 uh, the glory of the Ravens in their conversation. And then they go to the next person. They start talking about Jesus. And they, they sound like uh, uh, the, the Clear Eyes commercial. <laughs> Do you, are you guys old enough to remember the Clear Eyes commercial? Anybody? Who, who's old enough to remember that one? Like, okay, those of you that were alive in the 90s. Dry eyes. Ben Stein. Dry eyes. You know, if, uh, how, how do you say it? Um, the, uh, the, the, this has clear eyes, has better ingredients than all of the other leading eye drop brands. It moisturizes and gets rid of, rid of the redness. Wow. You guys don't remember that. But, but you sound like that sometimes when you're sharing the gospel. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. Wow. You see, you see the problem. Look, check it out. Look at verse 27 and 28. <clears throat> In 27 and 28, Apollos through the um, commissioning of, uh, of the, the brothers there, Apollos goes on mission himself, and he doesn't lose an ounce of his passion. The same kind of descriptors that were used for him before he got the information are still used for him with the new information, with the whole doctrine of Jesus Christ. It says he powerfully, boldly, uh, with, with boldness, he, 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 he decimates a town, he destroys people with the gospel of Jesus Christ as he's refuting them through the scriptures in public. Meaning his, his drive wasn't replaced by doctrine. Are you with me? Like, don't go from this driven, passionate individual and then you read some uh, systematic theology and you listen to some lectures and you think that you've got to have your, your drive now replaced by good doctrine. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who preached years ago, he, there was a movement back in his day where, where preachers were basically told that you should hide behind the pulpit and your personality should not be seen in the pulpit and you should only, uh, like in a monotone fashion, uh, communicate the truth. And, and Lloyd-Jones challenged that. And he said, no. He said it, that the way that you communicate it actually communicates the joy or the, 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 the horror or whatever it is that the truth is communicating. And so Lloyd-Jones argued that your whole personality ought to be seen when you're talking about the gospel with people. Meaning, if, if, if you are a 10, if you can be, let's say 10 is the highest emotional personality uh, that, that you can possibly be and you're like an eight at the Ravens game he's saying you ought to be a 10 when you're talking about the gospel like the whole of of who you are ought to be seen because this is this is 
the most incredible truth that any of us can come across. And so for, for Apollos, he goes on mission, and instead of uh, doctrine replacing his drive, his drive is rather shaped now, or reshaped, if you would, by doctrine. And that's it, family. That's my message. That's what I've got for you today, all right? Passion minus doctrine is insufficient. And doctrine minus passion is insufficient. I wonder if there are any Apollos in the room. I wonder if there's anybody here who needs some doctrine. You're good with words, but let's be honest. Your training has not been the best. There might be an Apollos in the room who needs to submit to somebody who you know is a student of the Bible and and be under them and gobble up everything that they give you, including learning how to read books. Because drive without directions will leave you 400 miles in the wrong location. But I also wonder if there are any Priscilla's in the room. Are there any Aquila's in the room? Is there anyone here who might be tempted to write off your friends because they are insufficient in their doctrine and the Lord is challenging you, don't write them off. Teach them, train them, instruct them. The things that have been entrusted to you, give these things to other people, to faithful people. Now, I already know what your rebuttal is, and that is, well, it might come across as prideful. That's kind of an embarrassing thing to say, to sit down with somebody, and, and, and it almost makes me sound like I'm so much better than them, like I'm smarter than them, and like who am I to, to come to them and say that I need to, need to teach you something. And that might be where you are wrong. Because church, listen, if you are merely communicating your own ideas, then yes, that would come across as proud. But if you are doing careful exposition of the Word of God, and if you're able to truly say, this is not merely my wisdom, this is my convictions, my belief of what the Bible says, uh, and you, you, you're turning in the Scriptures and you're showing Bible verses and you're reading in chunks and explaining. That's, that's a different story, isn't it? That's actually a picture of humility. And look, you might not have any of the degrees that your friend has, but you've got the Bible. God doesn't come only to those who are Uh, intelligent according to this world. But He comes to the simple. He comes to those of us who this world world might dismiss. Meaning any one of you might have something that's been entrusted to you from the Bible that you need to pass on to a friend. You might be a Priscilla or an Aquila. I don't remember where I heard this story from but I remember hearing a story of a man who visited a new rural area. And as he got into this, this new land, the first thing he saw was a, a, a herd of sheep following the man that's supposed to be their, uh, supposedly their shepherd. 
And he loves this image. He loves the scene of these sheep walking alongside this man up this hill. And, and he's just enthralled by it. And, and, uh, and he, he says to the tour guide, oh my goodness, look, look how beautiful, look how idyllic this is. Look how wonderful this picture is of those sheep following that shepherd. And then the tour guide just smiles and starts to laugh. The man looks at the tour guide, confused. And the tour guide explains, that's not a shepherd. That's a butcher. <laughs> I'm going to say something and then I'll just leave it. And I'll sit down, alright? Sometimes shepherds look a lot like butchers. Sometimes butchers look a lot like shepherds. Sometimes you can't tell the difference. And Apollos, who is left alone, who is not trained, could very well become a butcher. Here's what I mean by this. If a shepherd doesn't lead you to the chief shepherd, then he is a butcher. If a shepherd leaves you with, with only law, with a list of to-dos, and he doesn't take you to Christ, then he's a butcher. Now, you might say, oh, well, well, he's so nice. I love his teaching. He's so funny in his teaching. Look, sometimes butchers are clearly abusive, and sometimes they are winsomely articulate. But if Christ isn't the beginning and the end, if He's not the center and the aim of one's teaching, then they're not leading you to the true shepherd. They're not leading you to the great shepherd. They're rather leading you somewhere else in the wrong direction, which is, friends, for us the definition of a butcher. Because life is only found in Christ. Amen? Amen? I wonder if the doctrine of Jesus Christ excites anyone. I wonder if, if the, the, the passion that you have as, as you think about Christ excites anyone. Because church, you are not saved by any man's passion. You're not saved by any man's work. You are saved because Jesus did the work on your behalf. You are saved because of His work going to the cross of Calvary and dying to forgive your sins. You're not saved by another man's passion. You're saved by Christ's passion. For as He hung on the cross for those three excruciating hours, as the nails were placed in His hands, as He was mocked and scorned, as the sky turned dark, in that moment Jesus took all of your hell on His own body. The wrath of God was poured down on Christ. And what kept Him on the cross was His own passion. And so that's why we look to Jesus' drive. That's why we look to Jesus' passion. That's why we look to Jesus' Word. Because only Christ can save. 
Does this message move anybody? Does does it make you happy? Does anybody uh, hear the, the, the doctrines of the gospel of Jesus Christ and find yourself unable to contain your joy because it's so good? Look, let me just close with this. Therefore, as you go about helping your friends, the Apolloses of the world, or even as you listen to preaching, let it be tied to the Word of Christ. Let it be tied to the Word of Christ. Good preaching is not some man jumping off a diving board into the waters of his own wisdom. But rather, good preaching is going to the Word and explaining from the Bible who Jesus is and what it means to follow Christ. Good preaching and teaching should not only communicate ideas that accord with the Bible, but good preaching and teaching should show, should prove that your ideas come from the Bible. Meaning, as you explain the goodness and the beauty of all of these things, it ought to be very common for us to say, let me show you where I see that in the Scriptures. And then we show it and prove it. Amen? Amen. So let me show you where I see that in the Scriptures. Look at verse 28. Apollos, as he's powerfully refuting the Jews in public, it says, showing by the Scriptures that Christ was Jesus. The way that his drive was reshaped was simply this. It was shaped around the Word. And he became a person driven, passionate about the Scriptures. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this model of Priscilla and Aquila having this conversation with Apollos, God. I pray for the Apollos in the room, that they might have passion shaped by their doctrine. And I pray, God, for the Priscilla and the Aquila in the room, that they might be able to have the courage in Your Word to take their friends aside and to teach Apollos more accurately the things of Jesus Christ. It's in His name we pray. Amen.